This is Everything Energy. Produced by the International Energy Agency. Hello, and welcome back to Everything Energy, the IEA's new podcast, where we take a look at current energy issues as well as the future of the global energy system. I'm Tanya Dihan. And I'm Jad Mawad. And for today's episode, we are joined by Neil Atkinson, who heads our oil markets division. It's his job to make sense of what's going on in the markets. And today, he probably has the hardest job at the agency. In our last episode, we talked about the impact of the COVID pandemic on energy demand around the world. In this show, we will focus on oil, which has seen some of the worst effects of the crisis so far. Yes, and for oil, the story of the last few months has been that of a dual shock. One was caused by energy demand collapsing because of the pandemic. The other was caused by major producers opening up their taps and flooding the market with oil just as demand was suddenly vanishing. The result has been one of the biggest crises for oil markets in memory, with some benchmark prices even going into negative territory last month. Hello, Neil, and welcome to the show. Thank you for inviting me. And thank you for sharing your insights on this rollercoaster oil market. You've been following markets for decades, but have you ever seen anything like this? Well, I've been following the oil market on and off for over 35 years. And in all that time, we've had various oil crises of one type or another, usually involving disruptions to supply. But we've never before seen something which has been led by the biggest demand crash in history, arising, of course, from the biggest public health crisis for about 100 years. So this is completely new territory. So we are going to take a look at what's been going on this month, the month of May. But before we look at that, can you take us back to March and April, when we really began to see the effect of limited mobility around the world, and this idea of uh, Black April, which turned into the worst month in one of the worst quarters ever for the oil market? Well, yeah, because the COVID-19 eventually uh, took over the world. But what's really interesting, if we go back to March, as you suggested just then, uh, a fateful decision in the benefit of hindsight was taken by the OPEC plus countries when they met in Vienna in the early part of March. uh, And they decided not to uh, renew or extend their existing production restraint uh, agreement, which had worked very successfully for the previous couple of years or so. And indeed, uh, in the early part of 2020, partly because of some political issues in the Middle East, the assassination of the uh, Iranian general in Iraq in January, uh, oil prices for Brent were edging towards $70 a barrel. But as it became apparent during January and February, from China in particular and other Asian economies, that the COVID-19 pandemic was a very, very serious issue, it started to lap at the shores of Europe. But even in the early part of March, we hadn't really got our head around how, how big a deal this was going to be. So in March, the Saudis and the Russians failed to reach an agreement between them and their other OPEC plus partners. They decided to uh, end restraints on oil production and not only end the restraint, but go actively into a fight for market share, where the Saudis and the Russians would essentially compete with each other to see who could sell most oil in the growing markets, mainly in Asia. And to do that, of course, you have to increase your production and also offer more oil to the market at much cheaper prices. And they started doing that. Our production started ramping up. And indeed, it continued right through April. But back into March, of course, what became apparent was that the COVID-19 crisis was no longer a Chinese crisis, no longer an Asian crisis, 
it was becoming global. Uh, and here in France, we went to, into lockdown uh, in mid-March, uh, and many other countries here in Europe uh, followed uh, very soon afterwards, and in one or two cases just before. And then eventually, of course, the lockdown spread into, uh, into the United States. Now, the impact of that, uh, this, this sudden shutdown of the economy, which at one point during March and into April had 4 billion people living under some kind of lockdown, was to bring the economy to a halt. Uh, oil demand of about 100 million barrels a day, normally about 60, 65 million barrels a day, something like that in normal times, is uh, taken by transport, by land, sea, and air. And uh, that enormous share of total oil demand event effectually collapsed overnight. Uh, aviation demand in many countries fell by 90% compared to the year before. Uh, nobody was driving anywhere because of lockdown. Uh, and other sectors of the economy using liquid fuels for transport uh, also saw significant falls in demand. So we saw demand falling off a cliff in, in March and as we moved into April. And meanwhile, the leading oil producers, Saudi Arabia and Russia, were ramping up production to fight for a share of a market which was actually collapsing before their very eyes. So eventually, oil prices started to fall down dramatically, uh, and very soon it became apparent that uh, we were in a completely new and indeed uncharted territory, and something had to change. And that's what happened, of course, in April. So this is what we've called Black April. This is perhaps one of the kind of more uh, tense months that we've seen in oil markets. And this is um, a confluence of essentially, like you were just describing them, really two shocks, a very large and unprecedented demand shock uh, in addition that came in addition to this uh, supply shock. So give us a little bit more uh, insights into just how tense the, the market became in April. Um, we've seen uh, stocks filling up pretty much everywhere, uh, reserves filling up, oil tankers being booked for oil for floating storage. Help us kind of understand that that, that picture. Well, yeah, because uh, the, the the two sides of the balance, demand and supply, uh, react at different speeds. Uh, demand collapsed almost overnight as uh, lockdown measures were imposed. It then takes time for the supply side to respond, whether that be uh, uh, because of market forces because the collapse in demand leads to a collapse in prices, production takes some time to shut in, and on the, the political side of the production uh, uh, cutbacks that we saw, it takes time to mobilize uh, the countries, it takes time to mobilize meetings and get agreement between disparate countries and disparate uh, companies. So demand fell immediately, supply took some time. And of course, until we eventually got the uh, OPEC plus agreement, uh, and then, of course, we had the G20, uh, extraordinary G20 meeting of energy ministers, which the IEA played an, a hugely important role in. Until those events took place, we had no clarity as to what changes would happen on the supply side. Then it became apparent we were going to get big production cuts, but that was still going to take time to come into, uh, into operation, inevitably. Meanwhile, demand was still collapsing around, uh, around, uh, around us. Uh, we were unclear as to the full extent of the demand uh, degradation, which is why uh, in the uh, April report we published, uh, the IEA, the April oil market report, we had demand in black April, as you call it, down by very nearly 30 million barrels a day year on year, which is absolutely incredible. That's roughly the equivalent 
of the entire production of OPEC. Uh, 30 million barrels a day of lost demand. Uh, so we were in a very, very bad place and oil prices were under enormous pressure. And of course, that uh, downward pressure on prices reached its, uh, its nadir on April the 20th, when, uh, as uh, everybody knows by now, we saw negative prices for WTI crude oil, uh, partly related to the, uh, to the nature of the futures contract, which expired on that day. But the negative prices was actually a very, very uh, uh, vivid symptom of an underlying problem whereby there was still too much oil flowing into the system. It didn't have enough pipeline capacity to move around. And if it was able to move around, it wouldn't necessarily find any spare storage capacity. So we saw negative prices. But uh, as we've gone through April, the uh, production has started to fall off in the United States and Canada and other countries outside of the formal OPEC plus agreement. And that pace of production fall has been faster than we first thought. So now we're gradually moving towards a change in the market sentiment. So I just wanted to pick up on that, Neil, actually, and talk a little bit more about uh, producers, because something that came out of the April report was that uh, some producers were forced to halt production. Um, we saw operations beginning to shut down, jobs were being lost. Um, just how bad has it been for producers? And can you tell us a bit more about how producers uh, in countries such as the United States have reacted? Well, uh, the United States is, uh, as far as the oil industry is concerned, it's a market-driven uh, oil industry. Uh, there is very little formal role in the United States for the government. Uh, there is some role at state level. We saw uh, a discussion about a potential revival of the historic role of the Texas Railroad Commission, which in the end didn't come to anything. But essentially, it is market forces which determines United States production. Now, uh, the IEA did some work uh, as the crisis was getting underway to try and get an idea of uh, how much production in the U.S. could be shut in if prices fell below certain levels, $35, $25, and so on and so forth. Uh, what we have actually seen with the WTI price uh, falling below $20 at some point uh, during uh, March and April is that... Uh, uh, we think that by the middle of the year, by the middle of uh, June, uh, something in the region of three to four million barrels a day of production could be shut in from the United States uh, as a maximum. So this is a direct impact of the uh, fall in prices. This is a direct economic market-led reaction to the crisis that, uh, that we're in. And to some extent, we've seen very significant falls uh, in production also in Canada, which has, uh, again, rather like a lot of the U.S. shell producers, has a high cost base, uh, was finding its prices uh, fall very sharply because demand from U.S. refiners had fallen very uh, by, by a lot. Uh, difficulties in moving Canadian crude through pipelines and through railway networks, so on and so forth. So the U.S. and Canada were the most visible and the most visibly affected countries as a result of the, the price collapse. Uh, and also because they're also so big. The U.S. is a 13 million barrel a day producer. Canada's a 5 million barrel a day producer. They're big, serious countries, and they have been hit pretty hard from what we've seen so far. And uh, we'll have to see as the year progresses uh, to what extent they're able to recover if prices recover. So in a sense, this kind of brings us to, to May, um, where we have a feeling, and this came out in the latest oil market report uh, for this month, that we're starting to see perhaps the glimmers of a recovery in the markets. And uh, you've explained 
sort of how some uh, producers have uh, had to adjust their production, um, uh, particularly uh, um, in market-driven countries. So does that mean the worst is over? Is, that, is the worst behind us when you consider that situation? Well, on the basis of the, the demand numbers that we put forward in the oil market report we released last week, uh, Black April was the worst month in terms of year-on-year declines. Uh, back in April, when we published our report, we had uh, uh, Black April showing minus 29 million barrels a day year on year. In the May report we published last week, that collapses only in inverted commas, 25 million barrels a day. So what that is telling us is that uh, in the earlier reports uh, that we did, uh, inevitably we didn't have as much uh, official demand data as we subsequently got our hands on. So we were doing a lot of modeling work based on uh, the uh, satellite-based services, which uh, enable us to look at movements on land, sea, and air. And we were making a lot of estimations. Uh, and uh, gradually, as the real data has come in, we've seen that, yes, demand has still fallen very, very dramatically, of course, but perhaps not quite as badly as we first thought. Now, as we move into May, where we are right now, uh, oil demand is still falling sharply year on year, but by less than we see for April. And then again, as we move through June, it falls again by less than we're seeing in May and we saw in April. And then in the second half of the year, which we can come on to in a bit more detail in a moment, uh, we're starting to see the uh, deficits for each month versus the same month of the previous year get smaller. But even by December, uh, we still think that demand will be about 3 million barrels a day lower than it was the previous year. But there is a clear improvement. So what you said about the worst is behind us. As far as demand is concerned, we think the worst is behind us, but we can't be uh, entirely sure about whether the COVID-19 will come back or not. Right. So what, what does that look like when you look at those countries that have started deconfining? And what does the uh, early lessons that you're seeing from China, for instance, uh, uh, give you as an indication of what to expect for the rest of the year? Well, China is very interesting because uh, one of the charts we show in the report uh, indicates that based on the numbers we've seen so far, there's been a pretty sharp V-shaped recovery in demand in China. They had, uh, of course, the, the worst uh, impact from COVID-19 in January and February, and they're now coming out of it. Uh, and it was a very sharp uh, rebound. In the, the second quarter, we think China's demand is about a million barrels a day, a million and a half barrels a day, more than it was in the first quarter. For the OECD countries, the picture is still V-shaped recovery, but it's a rather wider V than, uh, than we've seen for China, which is a sharp V. And you can start debating uh, whether the, the V becomes a U. Uh, but in this, this second quarter where we're in now, uh, OECD demand, which is just below 50 million barrels a day, it's gone down in the second quarter versus the first quarter by 5 million barrels a day. Now, you said that lockdown measures are being eased, and they certainly are, and we can see that with our own eyes in, uh, in our big cities here in, uh, in Europe and in the United States and in other parts of the world. There was a lot more traffic than was the case just a week ago. There is visibly more activity in the streets uh, and all around us than we saw uh, a week, even a week or so ago. So we must assume that that activity will build up as governments uh, allow more businesses to open and as more and more people feel uh, confident and indeed able uh, to move around. So our current expectation in the market report we just published 
is that the OECD countries do start to recover gradually as we move through May, June and into the second half of the year. But it's a much wider V-shape than the very sharp recovery that we've seen so far in China. But the, 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 the outlook for demand in the second half of the year, and we can't emphasize this enough, is at the moment we are and we are not anticipating a significant resurgence of COVID-19. It could happen, we must hope that it doesn't. And when we talk uh, in due course about what we're seeing in 2021, uh, that's certainly something we can come back to. So Neil, your job is to forecast markets and I cannot imagine a more challenging environment um, than, than, what, than what we have today, given the situation. Next month, you have a monthly report coming out, but you also have um, a report that will take us through the next 12 months. Can you give us an idea of what that might look like? Well, it's, as you say, it's very, very challenging. And uh, uh, just before I, I talk about the challenges of facing 2021, it's just a, a useful little factoid here about how things have changed just in the last couple of months since we did our first real uh, oil market report when the COVID-19 crisis really, really hit us. And I'm talking now uh, back in March, we published the oil market report, and I can vividly remember uh, sitting down with all my colleagues around the agency, having really, really long and detailed discussions about whether we could put out a forecast which showed a decline in oil demand year on year in 2020, a decline of even one barrel versus the year before, because we thought this was such an incredible uh, possibility. And then since then, of course, we've, uh, we've seen the full extent of the crisis, and we're now talking about massive declines year on year. Now, uh, and that was just back in March. It shows you how difficult it's been to try and uh, make this journey from, uh, from the, just the beginning of the crisis to the, the midst of it where we are now. So attempting to see what the situation like is going to be like in 2021 is uh, even more difficult than it would be in any ordinary year. And right now, uh, what we're thinking of doing is uh, making an assumption or two assumptions. Number one, that there is a recovery from the COVID-19 crisis that continues much along the path we currently see for 2020, where there is a significant recovery in demand in the second half of the year. Uh, but we must be realistic. And uh, we see in the news reports from time to time of uh, little outbreaks here and there of uh, COVID-19 in places where it was thought it had gone away. There's been a few cases reported in China, for example. Uh, so there is always this lingering possibility COVID-19 could come back. So what we're going to try to do is, uh, is come up with uh, an assessment which takes into account what we hope will be a moderate return so that there will be some degree of lockdown uh, imposed in the key markets, which will obviously impact the recovery of demand. So we're trying to be uh, realistic, but we're also trying, of course, to be hopeful because I think the, the one thing that uh, all oil market force forecasters are hoping for right now is that the forecasts we have of uh, terrible falls in demand, uh, we earnestly and uh, sincerely hope for once in our life that these forecasts are completely wrong. Well, forecasting is notoriously difficult, especially if it's about the future. So good luck to you and good luck to your team for a particularly challenging uh, June report, but I'm sure you'll pull it off with flying colors. Thank you. 
Thank you so much for joining us on the show, Neil, and for taking us through what has happened in the oil markets over March, April and May this year, and for giving us your insights into uh, what we could be expecting uh, over the next few months. And to our listeners, thank you again for joining us for our second episode of Everything Energy. If you'd like to find out more about any of the topics that we discuss, you can visit our website at iea.org.